Well, good morning. My name is Steve Farina, and I'm serving here on the Kettlebrook staff for the last six months. And we are going to have two reflection times uh, during the message this morning. The first one here at the beginning. Um, I'd like to, sorry, throw you a little bit of a curveball. I'm going to be reading the passage that I'm going to be preaching from. That's going to be Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. But in anticipation of that, I'd like the first reflection to be here off of this. If, Nathan, we could go to that first slide, that would be great. Um, this is Matthew 4, 12 to 17. You'll find it on a sheet there uh, in the chairs, or you can use your own Bible or one of the brown Bibles. It's on page 683. We're doing this time of reflection so that it brings us into the Scriptures It helps us to just kind of soak with it a little bit at this time of the season where we are rushing and and going really fast and maybe not have that time. So before I let you go with that reflection from Matthew 4, 12 to 17, I need to read our passage for today to get you started. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7, page 489 in the Brown Bible. Would you, would you not mind if that, if you can stand, would you stand with me since this is the Word of God? May we do that? Thank you. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every single garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Would you take just a couple minutes now then and reflect Matthew 4, 12 to 17. Go ahead and be seated, please.
Thank you, man. Um, if you didn't circle these three words, I'd like you to do it in this particular passage. Verse 12, the first line, he withdrew, circle withdrew. Circle the word to fulfill, verse 14, right in the middle of the page. And then at the bottom, verse 17, circle the word repent, repent. We'll come back to that later as we talk about this passage from Isaiah. What you must understand is that this passage of Isaiah is one of anticipation. He's pointing to a person to come. And the message that he's giving is so exciting, so unbelievable, that the people who were listening to him probably had to say, ah, it's too good to be true. There's just no way. But Matthew, in Jesus' time, is pointing back 750 years and saying, what that guy said, that anticipation, it's been fulfilled. Jesus has come. The anticipation that Isaiah gave us, it's happened. It's happened. And so we want to look at that this morning. Now, being on staff, I have gotten to hear over these last six months stories, lots of different stories. And a lot of those stories go something like this. Um, and then I battled with anxiety and depression. And so I've been really wrestling with that. And then recently we had a meeting where the United Way uh, leadership team came to the pastoral staffs and clergy of West Bend. And they said, what would you say is the greatest need that we have that we need to be addressing? And we talked for a while and we listened. And the issue that came up was mental health. So many different people dealing with anxiety and depression. And our, what we had shared was confirmed by law, law enforcement officials here in Washington County. They're talking about issues of mental health. It's a, it's a big problem. And a lot of it is anxiety and depression. And the school districts, all the different school districts in Washington County are pointing out that kids are coming to school with more mental health issues. It's anxiety. It's depression. And so you start to think about this and you start to wonder and you're like, man, Steve, why are we looking at a text that's 27 years old, tw- tw- sorry, 2,700 years old? What does that have to do with us people living in the 21st century? Why are we looking at Isaiah? Ah, that's a good question. So let's look at that first slide, Nathan. And I circled it for you there. We're going to look at the, the, the first verse. It says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Now, if you were to give me another word for gloom, for, for darkness, what would that word be? People who are in gloom are depressed. And for people who would be experiencing distress, what would be another word for that? Anxiety. Wow. Wow. Isaiah is talking about stuff that we deal with today. It's amazing. And when I said that his message might be, seem a little bit too good to be true, look at the first part of that verse. There will be no more. There will be no more. Please say it with me. There will be no more. I didn't hear you. 
I don't know if you've got enough enthusiasm for me. Let's try it again. There will be no more. That's better. Because this is good news. And Isaiah is pointing to a coming person. And he's saying, there will be no more. He is coming to wipe away anxiety and depression. And it's so good. So you get to feel a little bit why his audience would be like, Whoa, Isaiah, this is a little too over the top. This is a little too bit of good news. But it's true. It's true. And Isaiah is pointing to this person to come. This person to come. Let's look at the next one, uh, Nathan. Um, notice that there's going to be, in verse 2, this light that comes. And Isaiah has told us, he's not only identified that a person is to come, but he tells us where. He tells us the place of it. Uh, Zebulun, Naphtali, what is that? Well, we need a map of Israel. So I'm going to give you a map of Israel right here. There's the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River runs like this. You have the Dead Sea Valley, the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea Valley right along here. Over here would be the Mediterranean Sea. Running down from the north all the way down to the south to the river of Egypt is Israel. Jerusalem is about here. 70 miles to the north, sorry, 90 miles to the north is Nazareth. Nazareth. Jesus lived in Nazareth with his parents, it says, and that was the region of Zebulun. Zebulun. And then when Jesus got tired of living at home, no, I'm sorry, no, Jesus moved 30 miles north to Capernaum, the top of the lake, And what did he do there? He opened his headquarters for his ministry. And he began to minister. The lion's share of his ministry was in this this area of Galilee of the Gentiles. Why? Why did he do that? Well, the clue was in that passage that you looked at from Matthew, he withdrew after John the Baptist was arrested. Where's the hot spot in Israel? It's at Jerusalem. Why set up your headquarters up here in Galilee? Because it's Galilee of the foreigners. Galilee of the Gentiles. Cultivated and religious people, they don't go to Galilee. And so the lion's share of Jesus' ministry happens here. And as you know, later on, three years later, he winds up in Jerusalem. And what, ha- what happens? He's crucified. So it's wise It's smart, it's good for him to be up here where he can conduct his ministry without the persecution that would come from the people, the religious leaders, and maybe even the Roman authorities. So, Isaiah pointing to that person to come has told us who he is, where he's going to be, and look at this attribute about him. He would come and bring light. Now, if I use that metaphor, if we were talking about gloom before, if we were talking about darkness before, what would be the dawn in gloom and darkness? What would be another word for that? It would be hope. Hope. The hope that was coming. That person who would come would be like a dawn in the light of darkness. And he says it further. He says, not only would it be dawn, it would be a great light. 
A great hope coming for all people. Oh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Next one, Nathan. Let's go to the next verse 3. And what he would do is he would increase their joy. Hit it again, Nathan. And look at that. Verse 3 is full of rejoicing. So let me make sure I follow this. He's coming. He's going to take away all those different things. And he's going to give us hope. And he's going to give us joy. Well, what kind of joy? What are you talking about? Well, he gives us two illustrations there. People who live from harvest to harvest, from season to season. And, you know, it's not like what we have today where you go to the grocery store and you can buy whatever you need. People were living where stuff was running out. And if it wasn't a good harvest, their very existence could be in jeopardy. So how would people feel if they had this massive harvest, had the, the wheat on their shoulders, were marching it back to their house to put in their storage places? They'd be ecstatic because it affects all of them. This isn't some giddy happiness that comes and goes. This is joy because this is life and death. And the same for warriors. Joy. After they had captured a city and their, their king says, you can have that section of the city, it's all yours. Whatever you want, take it. That's your payday. Take it. Wow. Somehow my life was spared. I fought hard. And now look at my payday. Woo! Fired up. Joy. Because it consumes all of me. It has a, it, it has a consequence or a value that it's all that I am. And so he would be bringing me joy. Hope and joy. Next one, Nathan. And then we have a little prop. I need help with prop meister, prop master. Um, let's look at what we got here. We've got the yoke. That burdens them. The bar across their shoulders. Oh, that's a little, little big, and I need that. And, and a rod. And the rod. And so these people would have this taken away. They would experience freedom. Freedom. Now, the bar on their shoulder might come from someone else, might be an oppressive government, uh, might be someone that had, that had influenced their life and they created that bar. The rod could be an evil taskmaster that's using it on them to drive them on like animals. The picture that you have here is of people who are under slavery, bondage. Now, sometimes this can come from other people. Sometimes it can come from myself. Sometimes I create that yoke that goes on my shoulders. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was out raking the lawn, and I was going as fast as I could because we've had snow when we should be raking. And we got a dry day, and so I thought, oh, I can finish, can finish the front lawn, and I knocked it off into the curb. And I, got, I was making my way, raking as fast as I could. And I had just finished this section, and I had a little section to finish there. And I stopped for a moment, and I thought, oh, I'm going to send a text message. So I sat, and I leaned against the fire hydrant, and I was texting somebody. And all of a sudden, I heard a car speed up. And I saw a slow car here. 
And then a fast car coming right at me. And on our city street, this car ditched down, dropped to the right, went through my leaf pile, passed me about here, half a yard away from me, and sped on to cut ahead of the slow car. And as I watched, it was a young man with a cell phone like this, about 35 miles an hour. He almost hit me. Ah, so mad. I was just like, oh, oh, if I'd only had the presence of mind to spin with my rake, boom, and hit him with it. But then the other shoulder angel inside of me said, yeah, but you would have caused an accident. That speeding car would have hit the slow car. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Ah, but I could have got him. I I know what I'll do. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell everybody I know, and I'm going to rehearse this for him, this injurious situation that was done to me. I'm going to rehearse it with my son. I'm going to tell my wife. Anybody who will listen in our staff meeting, I'm going to share what that jerk did. Whew. And so that loop began to play. And it plays. And it plays. And suddenly it starts working into my heart. And it's working into my, as it's working into my brain. And joy gets thrown away. And hope gets thrown away. And freedom gets thrown away. And the burden of that is now on me. And so I began to rehearse it, and I started with my son Anthony, and I said, Anthony, do you believe what this guy did? And he said, hey, Dad, um, do you think it would be a good idea to forgive him? <sighs> Anthony, come on, don't play spiritual. I mean, forgive him. <laughs> forgive him. Yeah, you're probably right, son. That's probably the right thing I need to do. I, I need to just say, I forgive him. And so we, he and I prayed together. And we prayed for the young man that he would, that God would save him from himself. And the burden went away. And the loop stopped playing. And I could go back to experiencing joy and hope and freedom. Now, I want to talk about the rod for a moment because sometimes the rod is someone who's hitting me. Uh, Words that are not gracious, words that don't have any mercy. Um, Some of you have experienced that in a work situation. Some of you have experienced it in a family situation. Just, you can always do better. Whatever you do is never good enough. And sometimes I'm holding the rod. Sometimes it's me. Hitting myself with it because oh, if I just don't believe, I just don't know that God could ever forgive me. I don't know that he ever could forgive what I did. And so the rod becomes like this where I'm hitting myself with it. And Isaiah says the person to come is going to take the rod And he's going to free you from it so that you don't have to use it on yourself. He's going to free you from the rod that someone else is using on you. Freedom. 
joy, hope. Let's go to that next slide. I want to say that it's complete freedom. This fifth verse is a little obscure, but I want you to see that the key word in it is every. Every single last vestige of that army that came, of the oppression they brought, every last vestige of it is going to be burned up. It's going to be gone. So we're talking about whatever the oppression was, whatever that was, that yoke that I had on me, it's, there's not going to be anything left of it. Every single part is going to be wiped away. And so Isaiah is telling us, guys, 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 a person is coming who's going to bring hope. A person who's coming is going to bring joy. A person who is coming, he's going to bring you complete freedom. And this is such amazing good news that the people who were hearing Isaiah's message must have said, there's just no way. I just, it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. So in this next moment of reflection, I'd like you to look at verses 6 and 7. 6 and 7 is like the crowning point of what Isaiah is pointing to. And so I'd like you to take a few minutes, four or five minutes, and you will see those attributes of the person to come are on the back of this sheet. Okay, we did this part for the reflection. Now we're going to do this part for the reflection. Or use your Bible and use that for your reflection time. Here are the questions I want to ask you about that person to come. Feel free to write on this, write in your Bible, whichever. But let's take a few minutes to reflect on the person to come. That's a helpful time for us to begin looking at this particular last bit of the passage, verses 6 and 7. Nathan, if we can put up verse 6. That person to come is for us. He's coming for us. And I'm so sorry. I, 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 I can't worry about you. I'm not really accountable for you. I'm accountable for me. The thing for me is he's come for me. That child that God has sent, that person being sent, is for me. It's for you. Next tap on that, Nathan. And the government will be on his shoulders. Government, what are we, what are we talking about? The government of peace. Well, government is authority. Government is dominion. And Jesus said, and you can write this down in your notes, Matthew 28, verse 18, he said this thing. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. It's all mine. And so the government rests on my shoulders because it's all mine. And if you remember from verse 3, I didn't point this out, but it says the kingdom, the extension of the people, there'll be the growth of that kingdom. It's happening. And his government is going and it's weaving its way through the different people groups throughout the world. I'll give you some examples. 
Um, I use uh, the Operation World app on my phone, and it's an opportunity to just pray for countries around the world, what are the particular spiritual needs that they have. And the other day I was praying for the United States, and it said that the Jewish population in the United States is 5.2 million people. 250,000 of those, 5% of the Jewish people within the United States have become Jesus followers. Many of those have, who have become Jesus followers have found their way into Christian churches. But there are over 300 synagogues, messianic synagogues, followers of Jesus who are keeping the synagogue system. Over 300. There are more followers of Jesus among the Jewish community today than there has ever been anywhere in the history of the world since the first century. God's at work. God's doing an incredible work. And now we get um, Molly and Eric to tell us about what Sally's been doing in Chad. Amazing. Watching Muslim people make confessions of faith to follow Jesus. And we see it growing. And what about us? What about Kettlebrook? Here we are. Do you know that we are 17% larger than we were last year? 17%? Do you realize that Washington County is the fat, one of the fastest growing counties in Wisconsin and it's only growing by 2.5%? That means we're growing like this and our, our population is growing like that. God's doing an incredible thing. His kingdom is going and weaving its way through Washington County. And by His mercy, we get a few more people to add to our family. Or yesterday I was praying for Uzbekistan and I have a dear friend, Jim and Maria Warkington. Jim made, patented, now get this, a raisin destemmer. And the, the Uzbeki government loved him because the value and the grade of the Uzbeki raisins went up to an A grade because of Jim's raisin stemmer. But Jim used to tell me how hard it was to reach Uzbeks. And it said this when I read the Uzbeki page. Of course, I lost it. So I'll just tell you what it said. That today, they're estimated to be 10,000 Uzbek believers. When just a generation ago, there were thought to be zero. God's at work. His government continues to make its way through the people groups of our, of our world. And it's not going to stop. There will be no end to it. And then it says he's a wonderful counselor. I love that. He's a wonderful counselor. Because you know what he is with me? When he counsels me, when this person, Jesus, counsels me, he doesn't come to me with a stick. My counseling sessions with him are not, Steve, do this, do this, do this, do more. You're not doing enough. Boom, boom. That may be me hitting me, but that isn't Jesus hitting me. When he talks to me, his words are gentle, careful, 
He asks me good questions. Beautiful questions. And he draws me out. And when he talks to me, he says this. He says, you know what? There's this, there's this little thing that we need to work through. There's a woundedness you have. And it's, it's, it's hurting our relationship. Can we talk about it? Can we work through it? Can I take some of my salve and put it on? And can we walk in repentance together and walk away from it? Oh, he's so good. And his counsel is so gentle. Now, there is a caveat of meeting with a counselor. And in this busy time of the season, what's the problem? It's stopping to make time for the counselor. And the other problem is listening. I've got to make time. I've got to be in his presence. I've got to listen to what he's saying. Wonderful counselor. That's what he'll be like. That's what he is like. Mighty God. Mighty God. Write this down. John 10, 18. John chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus said, he's speaking in that verse and he says, No one has authority over my life. The Father has given me authority to lay down my life to die. And he's given me authority to take it up again. Whoa, Jesus, you want to run that by me again? Are you saying that you lay down, you you decided when you would die? Yes. You stepped back, you looked at the body, then you said, body, here we go. And you raised yourself back from the dead? That's what I'm saying. I have authority over my life. Do you have that? Do you have that? Can you delay your death even two minutes? Impossible, isn't it? We are not God and He is. And He is a mighty God. He is victorious over death. That's why it's so beautiful that what He offers us is the victory over death. The victory over our sin. That He swallowed it up. He vanquished it by His might and His power. Mighty God. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. If you didn't hear Ryan's message from a month ago, October 20th, you can find it on the website. It's profound because you have a a young man who grew up without a father asking God to father him and to help him then to be a father to his own kids. Everlasting Father, this person to come, he would be a father to us. He would be concerned about relationship. And I don't know about you, but for me, my dad did the best he could. He did the best he could. But he really wasn't that great of a father. There were a lot of things that I longed for more, mostly a relationship. And to be able to talk intimately. He just didn't have the tools for that. It's okay. But that longing of my heart for a real father is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. As an everlasting father embracing me, loving me, teaching me how to be a father and a good father to my own kids. For all time. 
everlasting. Prince of Peace. How come it says, why doesn't it say King of Peace? Why doesn't it say King of Peace? Because the Prince of Peace is submitted to the King of Peace, God himself. And it was he coming to earth, showing us the peace that comes from the Father. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that someone who is a mighty God also could be submitted to his Father and will show us peace? And finishing with that in verse 7, of his government and peace, there will be no end. There will be no end. Just amazing of this great king that is coming. And in fact, what Matthew told us in his passage is, he's here. He's here. He's fulfilled exactly what Isaiah said would come. Someone who would bring us hope. Someone who would bring us joy. Someone who would bring us complete freedom. And then would have all these characteristics as his government weaves its way this way and weaves its way deeper into me. Because I wanted you to remember the last word I said was repentance. Remember from the Matthew passage? Jesus came and he was preaching and what he said is repent. Repent. How so? Well, repentance becomes that point that allows us to embrace who Jesus is and to walk with him. And you might say to yourself, well, where's the belief in that? Well, the belief within repentance is that as we come before him and we say, I am so sorry. I don't know how to walk with you. I don't know how to walk with a great king. I don't know how to walk with an everlasting father. I don't know how to enjoy the hope and the joy and the liberty that you bring. But I want to know. And I repent. And I'm going to turn. And I'm going to follow you to whatever you take me to. That cup that's right there, Troy talked about last week, it being full of everything except Jesus. Everything that clutters in our life and competes for him. And my appeal to you is, is, is the same as Isaiah's. This guy is too awesome. He is too great. He is too ridiculously beautiful to fill our lives with anything else. Our lives should be overflowing with him. Because otherwise, I can't offer you anything. The stuff that we fill our cup with, it only leads to that thing again. And the big stick. But in repentance, we get to turn, give it away, and then receive Him, and He fills us to overflowing. If you have never made that decision to follow Jesus Christ with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength, I want to invite you to that today. That Isaiah's message of anticipation, Matthew's message, it's fulfilled. Nothing else will satisfy you to the extent that Jesus will as he goes deeper. His kingdom will go that way, and his kingdom will go deeper in you 
And what we want to ask him for 2020 is, Lord Jesus, have more of me, more of me. Let your kingdom go deeper into me. I believe in you, the hope you offer, the joy, the freedom, everything about you. You may have all of me. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're so grateful today. We're thankful for the message of Isaiah. Oh, he was so right on that you are so good. Everything that he said you would be, you are. And everything that Matthew said you would be, you are. And so we want to invite you today. We repent. Ugh. Lord Jesus, we repent of all the stuff that clutters our life. We repent of all that stuff that keeps us from sitting at your feet as a wonderful counselor, as an everlasting father, and hearing what you have to say to us. Oh God, walk with us today. Walk with us tenderly, carefully. We love you so much. Thank you. And it's in your name that we have prayed. Amen.